This is Talkin' Mule Deer with your hosts, Steve Belinda and Jody Stemmler. Talkin' Mule Deer takes you on a journey to learn more about the Mule Deer Foundation, Mule Deer and Blacktail Deer Biology and Management, tips and tactics for hunting, conservation issues, and even features some of our corporate and celebrity partners. Now, let's start Talkin' Mule Deer. This is Jody Stemmler. We are at the 2019 SHOT Show Talkin' Mule Deer. And I'm Steve Belinda, and our next guests are from Powderhook in Bonnier. So we have Eric Dinger from Powderhook and Andrew McKeon from Bonnier Corp. Bonnier Welcome. Corp is the overarching group for outdoor life. And, and Andrew, you've been with them for a long time and you also have. have graced us with your presence on the Mule Deer Foundation board. So thank you guys for sitting here and joining us today. Happy to be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, and it's uh, probably a change from home. It's a little snowy this week up in yeah, I live in northeastern Montana where actually we haven't had that much of a winter. It's been open, but snow finally did come as I was departing. So I don't know what I'm going to face when <laughs> I get home. You don't know if you're going to get home. Life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah I, I live about five and a half hours from Andrew, um, which isn't even half the state, if you can believe that. And I've got a, uh, a pile of snow and it's still snowing. So I imagine we're going home to some pretty wintry weather, Andrew. Do you want to... Uh, Plow my road in. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So both of you guys have, have been working in this industry a long time. Andrew, I, you're um, not originally from Montana, though, right? I am not. So so what brought you to eastern Montana and who lives in Glasgow in the <laughs> literal middle of nowhere, right? Tell me, uh, tell me what brought you there in the first place. I am a North Missouri farm kid who basically followed Magnetic North and then took a left and went west. So my very first job out of college was in Wolf Point, Montana, as the newspaper, as the editor of the weekly paper. Um, it's right down the road on an Indian reservation, Fort Peck Indian Reservation, and I fell in love with the people of eastern Montana. The landscape was great, but it was the people. It's just rural America, the heartland. As you mentioned, it is the literal middle of nowhere. So I went away, came back, worked for Fish, Wildlife, and Parks for a while in the regional office in Glasgow and just stayed. Okay. So for 20 years, I've been living there, raising kids. Outstanding. Uh, the Washington Post just did a big piece this past summer that looked at towns' proximity to infrastructure, so bigger towns' proximity to even bigger towns. And they, they basically did the math and identified Glasgow as the literal most lonely town in America. And it, sometimes <laughs> it feels like it. Yeah. That's what makes it special, though. But it's got awesome fishing and really good hunting. Around. And really good hunting. If, yeah. I mean, we just did this on uh, Powderhook. I think... Valley County, Montana, where I live, I think has the greatest number of huntable species of any county or municipality in the country. So we're going to throw that out as a challenge. If your county can beat my county, I want to hear about it. <laughs> you were talking bighorn, elk, So we have moose. elk, bighorn, sheep, elk, moose are coming in from Canada. We just killed a, the first legal wolf in our county in 56 years. We have mule deer, white-tailed deer. And then great upland bird hunting. We've got all kinds of waterfowl. So it's a pretty hunting town. I put carbon against it because we got mountain goats. So there you uh, go. That yeah. might be that. Actually, might be a good one. I don't and we got chuckers, too. So. Oh, all right. There's a nomination. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have to count those up and see what, you know, we do that in the grouse world. Who has, which state has the most grouse, which, you know, hunt, both right. huntable and number species because there's 12 species in North American grouse. So. You know, we have found, I think Washington has nine, you know, there's some, but no state has them all. I used to wonder about the prairie chicken. You know, if some in 
before human civilization if the greater prairie chicken ever worked its way into the eastern Montana shortgrass prairie. I don't think so, but I've always thought, oh, if we could bring prairie chickens back, it would be great. I will tell you a story about hunting near Alzada last year that I flushed a group of chickens. And I thought they were Sharpies at first, and then I reflushed them, and there were five chickens. Now, there's going to be a lot. I've talked to a lot of people about that. And some old timers say, "Yeah, you probably saw them. We've we've had them here." But others are saying, "No way." But you know, you know my background. Oh yeah. I know the difference between the two, and it was definitely chickens. Well, that was the vanguard. Maybe they're working. They're pioneering. There you go. There's there are some good things coming out of climate change, right? <laughs> the, the problem I had is I had a rifle in my hand rather than a shotgun, so it was uh, there was no opportunity. But uh, yeah, surprise the heck out of me. So. so, Eric, let's talk a little bit about Powderhook because, um, Andrew, we've known him for years through Mule Deer Foundation and Outdoor Life, but uh, now I know he's working with Powderhook, um, but I can guarantee you that only a handful, perhaps, of our listeners right now might know what Powderhook is. So, so what is so it? So let's change that, huh? Yes. So, Powderhook, uh, we're trying to create 3 million new hunters in the next five years, and we're doing that by doing the thing that made us all hunters, and that is... We had we found a mentor. Somebody took time to teach us. Somebody invested their time in us such that we are now here at a hunting trade show, right? Like somebody inspired in us a love of the outdoors that's manifested in a career for us. And so what we work on all day, every day, is how can we inspire others to get into the game of mentoring? Um, both Andrew and I really try to walk the walk of being people that teach others in our personal lives. But then uh, through Powderhook, we've built an app uh, that might remind somebody of a little bit of a match.com for, for hunting <laughs> where you can go and find a mentor. Uh, so if you're, if you're listening to this podcast and part of the reason you listen is you want to learn to hunt, uh, we have nearing 1,600 mentors that are available through our app uh, that are ready to, to help you if, if they can. And These so are people that have gone on and said, I am willing to take a person out hunting or shooting for the first time. Right. And I live in... Yeah, Nebraska. so you could, you could sort, let's say you're a, a female and you want to learn to mule deer hunt. You could look for a, a woman who's willing to teach you to mule deer hunt. And w where we bring something different to the, to the game is we provide those tools digitally so that more of that interaction can happen more quickly. So for us, 1,500 mentors is like a, a number worth reporting, but there could easily be 100,000 mentors in there, and anybody throughout the country could have a mentor really quickly. And so... Because it's a digital tool, we don't suffer from the, the need to babysit every relationship and from the background checks and the longitudinal problems that mentoring creates. It's just a chance to meet somebody who's willing to help you. And then where those people take that can be, you know, into the field or it may always stay digital. Okay. So why? What, what was the impetus for you to create this site and, and what problem are you trying to solve? Well... You've probably had some guests on, and maybe your listeners know about the declining participation in hunting. Uh, I think that's a, a real scare for me. I grew up in South Dakota, and um, my favorite memories of being a kid were walking around in my grandparents' feedlot and, and in their yard in their tree belts with a BB gun. And, you know, I'm sure you guys probably have some of those memories. But Yeah, but, it, but not having grown up in South Dakota, I probably had clothes on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and your grandparents weren't related. Oh, wait, what? <laughs> no, so, uh, and you probably, now I probably can't tell you what all we shot, but like everybody listening, if you're a hunter, you probably had some formative years where somebody cut you loose with a BB gun 
and life got pretty interesting for you as a young person carousing through the woods shooting animate things and and the reason honestly the reason we started powder hook was um just before we started it i had had a son i had two older daughters but for some reason having a son really cemented in my head that the the fact that my family lives in an urban area in Lincoln, Nebraska. My parents don't own farm ground anymore. My grandparents sold the farm when grandpa had a stroke. Like the, I, the opportunity for my son to go and do the, the formative things that I did, the, the cherished memories I have, is just not the same. Absolutely. Uh, and so for me, this is very personal. And, and we've, Andrew would probably tell you, uh, and we've known each other for quite a while, but um, We've been through a lot to get this business off the ground. What, what mentoring is to the hunting community is it's taking your vitamins. It's something that a lot of us should do uh, because somebody took the time to show us. But turning that into a business that can make money and that can stand on its own two feet while having a mission focus is very, very hard. And so if it wasn't so personal to me, I think we'd have given up a long time ago. And yeah. so now that it's going a lot better and starting to grow, it's becoming a hell of a lot more fun, frankly, to, <laughs> to come and sit at things like the Chacho. Well, they say times are changing. We can't expect to recruit, retain the same way we did 50, right. 60 years ago or even 30 years ago. Well, and, and frankly, I mean, the vast majority of Americans are more than one generation removed from a rural lifestyle. Um, <laughs> Andrew in Glasgow, Montana, <laughs> excluded. I'm the exception. But, uh, but, but that rural-urban divide makes that opportunity, that knowledge base, much harder to find for a lot of people. Yeah, I agree. And that divide's not going to go the other way. I mean, it's, no. it's hard to look into the future of Americana and see, you know, bigger cities becoming smaller and, and people moving back to small towns. It just, it's hard to imagine that being the case. And so... We have to be willing as hunters, I think, to meet people where they're at, bring tools that ease the process into the outdoors uh, to them. And instead of making new people or people that might be interested in this way of life, scratch and claw and learn and figure out how to get into this stuff, we need to figure out if we can find them, grab them by the neck and haul them in with us. Like, you know, Say, you're invited, you're welcome, we want you here, we don't care what you look like. If you've got pink hair and nose rings, that's super cool. I hope you're safe with a gun or you're not coming back, right? Like, right. that's the way in which I want to look at hunting is we just try and strip down the barriers and reduce the friction that, it, that is present in so many ways as people try to come into to this way of life that we all enjoy and care about so much. Yeah, and the one thing you guys are doing, um, you're embracing technology to help you do that. We hear, I hear a lot of folks saying, if their kids would just put their dang machines down they would be fine no i think you have to figure out what clicks for each person yeah. and, and my kids love technology they use it for everything it makes my life easier sometimes when i'm uh, need to concentrate but um you know what we, it, it's my responsibility as a parent and as a mentor to my kids and the to say you know what enough's enough it's time to go one of the things that Eric's, Eric has talked about is we are encouraging people to pick up a phone to engage in this community, but we ultimately want them to put the phone down and engage in the earthy 
pursuit of hunting. And that's a funny dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. There's some irony in it, right? And, Have you and guys, it's okay because they're not mutually exclusive because the reality is devices aren't going to go away. It's how you use those tools um, more effectively. Right. I would add to that, you know, there's a lot of resentment in our community about video games and about the changes, you know, probably not unlike generations before us, the world for our children looks very different uh, than, than ours. You know, things like Fortnite and busy soccer leagues and those things are real and they're not going anywhere. And one of the things, that, one of the messages I like to bring to, to new audiences is you can be pissed about that and fuss about it and fight it and act like it's not real or, or wish it wasn't, but it is as real as the day is long. It is yeah. not going anywhere and you are not going to fuss at people such that they're going to put those things down and that that culture is going to change. Well, what we need to do is inspire people Meet them where they're at. So, like, why would it be so bad for Mule Deer Foundation to, to work with Fortnite to build a deer thing? Well, I heard uh, they do hunt in Fortnite. They, and have, they, they fish. do. I and hear the fly fishing, <laughs> I don't even know what you call it, scene or ever. Uh, people are going to that because they're virtually fly fishing. I mean, I think that's awesome. Yeah. Well, so, so that's what I mean by we, we need to meet people where they are, right? Like, would it ever dawn on Mule Deer Foundation that maybe Fortnite could be used as a strength for the organization, and no, that and I'm not saying <laughs> well, I'm not, I'm not I mean, saying that that's it, the right it idea. It probably but. never came up in anyone's thinking. Right? I, I've had a theory about using game theory, yeah, for wildlife management, and you know, hunting is part of wildlife management. But <laughs> I've actually gone out to Silicon Valley and had discussions with programmers, and they're just like, uh, you know, pay us, we'll create any sort of game you want. But as you guys know, conservation is a hard business to have an entrepreneurial spirit like that. But now they're doing it because it's part of either Fortnite or what's the other one? Dead Dread something where it's the Old West thing. You're, you're way you're out past and me. And it, it's, it's a PlayStation game. Oh, it's Red Dead. Red Dead. I yeah. saw it on, on South Park. So um, <laughs> This is where we get our knowledge. Right after they killed Kenny. <laughs> but they had to, during the course of that, you have to, you know, it's an Old West setting and you have to get your own meat. You know, yeah. and, and, and get your own, the other things. Hello, so. Katniss Everdeen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that's a little bit about what Powder Hark does. How did you link up with Andrew? And Well, should I say why? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I want to hear this. We're still asking ourselves <laughs> that question. Well, so uh, I think maybe it was four years ago today at the Open Country Awards that yeah. we met. Or maybe it was close to that. But uh, Andrew had noticed our work. Um, We were very, very early. And when we started, we were trying to build the Airbnb of the outdoors where you could. Right. I remember we talked about that, about, you know, people who had access land and then being able to kind of make that. Right. And Andrew was at the time running the open country portion of outdoor life. and, And he has a huge heart for the future of hunting, for conservation. And then, of course, has a way about him of interacting with people that leaves everybody feeling like they were blessed from the, from the time they had. And then as a storyteller, I don't know that there's a better living storyteller. And so if there are, if there's many, I don't know them. Um, Certainly ranks among the top. Yeah. I mean, he has a lot of shortcomings as you can see, but well, he also has a pinhead because he doesn't fit out to the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> the thing's perched on my little pinnacle of a head. <laughs> but uh, he's a good writer. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's a good a storyteller. It's all <laughs> compensation. Jody, honestly, like, What's cool about Andrew and um, 
we're rooming together here at the shot show, so now it's going to get super weird. But hand off my knee, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> what's really cool about Andrew is his, his heart is in this stuff. It's not a facade. It's yeah, not that's for sure. It, you know, sometimes you meet people and there's a little inauthentic, inauthenticity to it. Andrew walks this walk, cares about the things that he writes about, lives them with his family, and so I was I was so excited that he agreed to come help us tell the powder hook story in, in whatever fraction of his time that we get is a huge boost to us because he's credible and because he lives the brand that we're trying to build. Absolutely. Now, one of the things I've seen powder hook do and what actually got my exposure was the tracking, the migration tracking for ducks. And then you expanded yeah. to the rut. What else does powder hook do? I mean, explain a little bit about those. Yeah. So, um, Many of your users probably have Onyx Maps, right? Yeah. So Powderhook has a map, uh, but in no way are we competing with Onyx Maps. Like we're, we're not the mapping solution. And I often lead with that because they're a pretty well-known quantity. What we're trying to build is a community of people who are together for the purpose of getting others out. And so we build a bunch of tracking tools because, as you said before the podcast, Steve, you said, well, I got Powderhook because I wanted to learn where the ducks are. Well, knowing where the ducks are is a is a reason for lots of people to get out right and so anything we can build that inspires somebody or gives somebody an excuse to take a day off of work or or you know get somebody in into in touch with a mentor or somebody who can help them go have a good day outside is something we're interested in because our work is very simple all i want you to do is feel like you have the power to go have a great day outside and we think that that should be almost universally distributed in this country where you're born in a place where access to land is freer than just about any other place in the world where if you're not a felon or a moron you can probably buy a hunting license not every place in the world can do that all we want to do is inspire you and give you the tools you need to go and, and do that absolutely now andrew you um you have your own kids and one of my favorite stories is a story about iris um, taking her first mule deer um, so I want to hear a little bit about that, but I also know that this year you, beyond the mentoring of the, your own kids and some other friends, you actually mentored somebody that you didn't know for the first time this year as well. So Right. And it's funny how different those experiences yeah, were. There's some similarities, that. but so at the, at the time, Iris was 10 years old and Montana had just passed a mentor program. So it allowed um, beginning hunters who were younger than age 12, which was the year when you need mm -hmm. to get a hunting license to, it's the try before you buy program. And Iris is a, she's, she's a tough kid. She's very independent minded. None of her friends hunt, even the older friends. And so it was interesting for her. She, something that was important to her, it was important to me too, but I didn't want to push it. Right. So we actually did um, a whole series of, uh, or content around the Iris hunts idea. So following al along on her very first hunt. And as a, that was really my first opportunity to be an intentional mentor. Mm -hmm. So I didn't take a firearm in the field. I was so hyper-focused on her. And the cool thing about Iris is she really didn't need it that much. She did need a little bit of steerage every now and then, but she's pretty self-directed. And that whole experience really culminated in Iris's first buck and a great story around that, but it really lit the fire in me that this is the next step in my hunting progression is I don't need to hunt to have the best hunt of my life. It was really simpatico, I guess, with Powderhook and this whole real, I think, rising mentoring movement that I think I leveraged a little bit of that experience to say, okay, 
what is this mentoring experience all about? And it actually started two years ago with, I coach track in my hometown, and I'm at the middle school a lot, where the track kids meet, and I got to know the janitors, the custodians pretty well, because they're locking up, and I'm there. And one of the custodians, a guy named Nick, came to me after practice one day, and you could tell he was just nervous, sweating a little bit, wouldn't look me in the eye, kind of shifty, and he's like, hey, can I talk to you about something? I was like, oh, no, what did Iris do at school? <laughs> like, oh, this is going to be bad. It's better he's than the principal coming. <laughs> exactly. He said, would you teach me how to hunt? <laughs> just like that. It was uncomfortable for me. It was uncomfortable for me. It was just this kind of you know, awkward. moment, awkward, like all pretenses were stripped away. And what was I going to say? I don't know him, really. Yeah. I mean, so I said, you bet. And so th- we actually built an outdoor life story around that experience last year. That then culminated in, in really this year where mentoring is taking off. I needed to experience it. I guess this is the walk, the walk part of it. Um, and kind of find out to really prove this thesis that to make this work, to really introduce hunting and make it stick with a new generation, we can't just teach our own kids. We can't just take the people we know. We've got to introduce hunting to somebody we don't know, somebody who doesn't look like us. And so I actually had three different hunters this year. I'm lucky enough that I live on a great piece of land with mule deer. So it's pretty easy to take somebody. Really, they just have to get there, show the interest. And the first person was a 23-year-old college graduate from Billings who actually flew on our little prop plane up from Billings oh because goodness. he doesn't have a car, just graduated from college. Kind of in that moment, I think a lot of us recognize where we don't really have a direction. Mm-hmm. You know, He was in that universal place where he applied for a lot of jobs but didn't get them because he didn't have the experience but couldn't get the experience to get the job. He was in that real mm-hmm. vulnerable moment. And I, I love that he answered, it was a news release we put out saying, if you're a beginning hunter, let us know. We would like to find, take, take you out and be, the, be a mentor. So he came up, we had a really great experience. He ended up getting a great three-point deer. And it, it, he told me it was the most meaningful thing in his, in his life. Hmm. It gave him this direction he was lacking elsewhere. He's like, I want to teach my friends how to do this. Wow. This is something I can do. And the next one was um, this guy we actually met at a Powderhook conference uh, from Sacramento, uh, California. We met in May. He said, I would love to hunt. And again, somebody asked you that. It's up to you to, to take that okay. next step, to say yes. Say, so on. I said, you know, in Montana, our big game licensing has already passed. But apply for a doe tag. You might get one. If you do, I'll take you. He applied. He got it. He drove from Sacramento to the loneliest town in America with a doe tag in his pocket. <laughs> to the middle of nowhere. <laughs> and we hunted together for four days. Wow. He ended up into, also had a white-tailed doe tag. And then the last was a kid from Billings. I say a kid, about a 30-year-old who grew up in Brooklyn, now lives in Bozeman, Montana. Has this latent interest in hunting, but has no, never shot a gun, did not know how to do it. And he drove up, and we, that was our last, our last hunt as a, as a mentor. So my hunting season was really spent i think investing in these in these people and it was the best hunting season i've ever had that's cool now i'm guessing so one of the big things we talk about when you're introducing somebody new to hunting um or shooting is that it can't just be that one that one trip right and i'm so i'm assuming there's dialogue and interaction with these folks along the way and i'm sure you haven't lost touch with them either not at all in fact um so gerald the 23 year old from billings i fly out of billings when i travel so now i take him sausage I've made to, to introduce him to that. Hey, here's another way. You don't have to be whole muscle cuts of venison. He had left his uh, skull cap with an antlers back in Glasgow. So I took that to him. So 
He took me to dinner. It was just, it's going to be a friendship, his, as his mom said. Gerald's a loyal person. You've got a friend for life. Yeah. So the rifle scope on his, it was his granddad's rifle that we ended up taking no, out. It was old, not the best rifle scope. So for Christmas, I gave him a new rifle scope. It's one I've, it's not brand new. It's been on a lot of my guns, but it's a good rifle scope, and it's what he needs to take that next step. Yeah. Um, the Californian, now all he wants to do is hunt. So now he wants to, he took all of that Montana dough meat back to California. He's cooking it for his friends and having big parties and introducing hunting through food to a new group of people. So Did, Didn't he feed his fiance? <laughs> yeah. Tell that story. That's too good. <laughs> yeah. So he had, well, he had a big party, but the, before he did that, he fed the tenderloins to his fiance, who was pretty reticent about this. I don't know about this. This is your thing. Like, you go find yeah. yourself in the field, honey. Uh, she now wants to go duck hunting and take it, take the next step. So didn't he feed somebody tongue? <laughs> that was that was another mentor, but yeah. Oh, was it okay? Yeah. But this is how we build the scale. One thing Eric and I have talked about is one by one by one is essential, but you don't grow a pyramid by it just making the base ever bigger. You have to start building up at some point. And so I think this is the real magic of mentoring: is all these people now are so eager to share what they learned share their meat, share their gear with somebody else. And that's how you build that scale. So, good. Andrew's point is, is the, the salient point of, of the time that we've had today in that I think as hunters, at least I know I did, I started thinking about shooting big deer. I started thinking about what lease I was going to get. I started looking at, you know, how much further can I push myself to shoot? And over a span of eight or ten years of being an adult hunter, not one time did I think, oh, I should set out specifically to go teach somebody else. Sure, I invited people all the time. It's kind of what my family does is you're just always welcome to hunt with my family. But think about that as, as, as a listener of this podcast. When was the last time you, th- you thought, you know, I should honor my dad for taking me by teaching my neighbor kid? Or I should, you know that guy that at work that's no longer with us, that 30 years ago taught me this incredible love and passion that I have, maybe it's time to honor him. Stop stop for a minute and just think about somebody taught you and invested into you enough such that you're listening to a podcast about mule deer. Think about that person, and then when you're done listening to the podcast, shoot a text to somebody and invite them hunting. It doesn't have to be a lot harder than that, but we got to get back to where like that's what it's about. Well, it's the giving back and we talk about this a lot, is it's our responsibility to give back to those who gave to us, whether that's a mentoring, whether that's defending the right to hunt, whether that's getting involved in conservation. Um, Those of us that do it are all in. I mean, that's all we do. When you look at, you know, when Jody and I sit and say, well, what'd you do last month? You know, and we talk about all the things we're involved in and the hunter education and you know, teaching this stuff and taking folks out and then trying to get our own kids out and trying to get ourselves out and trying to do. And the, a casual listener goes, wow, I wish I had that passion about things in my life. And I think what you're saying is you can have it too. We just need to Absolutely. open that door for you because when you come in, the water's going to be warm. So, I think it's a human condition to want to share what you know, no matter what it is. You know, it's a favorite recipe it's a place and i think this is we just have to make it easy for people to do this when it comes to hunting yeah that's what we're all about 
So I, I think that uh, Mule Deer Foundation members, as a Mule Deer, Mule Deer Foundation board member, that this is something that, that we need to be kind of helping. And we do, muley events where mm. we get kids involved. But it's not just a one-day event or fair or festival trying to teach. There's so much more involved. What would you recommend um, if a member was interested in getting more information or, or going out or, or stepping in to becoming a mentor? Yeah, so... Obviously, the self-serving answer to that is... <laughs> Go to Powderhook. Yeah, yeah hit, hit iOS or the, the App Store or, or Google Play and download Powderhook, and it, it'll walk you right through it. Um, but the real answer to that question is what we said earlier, and that is if it's in your heart to give back, if, if you think it's important to honor the people that came before you, hunting is in a place where we need some help. Uh, it's never been more fun than it is right now. The diversity and... and strength of, of our wild game is as good as it's ever been in this country. Access sure is a little tighter, but most people can probably carve out a, a day out of 10 or a day out of 20 a year that they go to bring somebody new. If that's on your heart, more than powder hook, I hope you'll text somebody or, or ask or in whatever way is it's in your heart to get somebody else going. I think that would be my message today. Andrew said earlier he glossed over it, but they put a press release in the local newspaper, and that's how we ended up with a few of those mentors. <laughs> Think about that, Jody. A press release. That is as impersonal as possible, <laughs> right? That, that was through Outdoor Life? It was actually through no. local no? newspapers across Montana. But, oh, the press, the, new, the, the news release. Was the who, who, who wrote the news release? Who that said was that? me. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Just said, we'll, take, <laughs> we'll take you hunting. Call this number. <clears throat> that's cool. So that's, that's our message, or at least mine for sure, is that Yes, I'd love for people to be involved in Powderhook and, and mentor lots of people, but but run with the idea and remember how fun it is to be taking new people and to have new people in camp with you and to to be a part of somebody else's journey into this world we love so much. And I think I think MDF members are primed to be that sort of leading edge because if you think about it, I mean, here are people who are already coming together to volunteer and support a species, but they also like to be together. There's a sharing that happens in local volunteer chapters and wherever we get together. And so I think we already have a lot of those sort of instincts and impulses. Now let's take it that next step. All right, we're going to build maybe not just a chapter or just an organization. Now we're going to build a whole generation of new hunters. So I think, I think critter groups are really leaning forward into this already. It just need to be pushed to that next little step. And, and the cool thing is, like, as we did in Glasgow, it can be almost a chapter-level effort. Like, everybody go and do this. And the, ne the next step is now let's share the harvest. Let's share the meat. Let's share the experiences. And you can keep coming together to relive this, whether it's over a dinner or a slideshow of everybody's, you know, hunts of it. And that's also how you kind of perpetuate it. My dream of dreams, Iris becomes a mentor. <laughs> and I think she's, 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 she's on the edge of doing it. Yeah. Well, if you teach them right, it's going to happen organically and naturally. You're not going to have to That's go right. say, yeah. be a mentor when you get a certain age. She's probably already talking to her friends, and that's yep. part of being a mentor is yeah. convincing folks they do have an interest in this stuff. So a lot of people wonder about how to get started as a mentor, and I, I won't, my, the, my leaving quote today is the start of mentorship is an invite, and you don't have to church it up too much. It doesn't have to be overthought. Literally get your phone out, text a buddy from work, and be like, hey, 
we're going to go uh, scouting this weekend. Any interest in coming to learn and hunt with me? It doesn't have to be harder than that. And that, that little step is sometimes really hard for people, but you'd be surprised how many people will say yes to it. Yeah. Mm. I think one of the things we discount in this country is how ubiquitous hunting was a generation ago and how there is still great favor for hunting in this country. And, and I think most people you ask would be willing to go with you. Yeah, so and you, you probably know the people who would be most open to it anyway, right? So you're going to start with the people that are the lowest hanging fruit that have already shown interest in some way. Yeah. So. Oh, you know where I find them, Jody, is when I'm at a sporting event with other parents. Yep. And you're talking to them as the kids are off doing their thing, and you often you get, you know, I'd like to teach my kid mm-hmm. to hunt, or I'd like to go. Single mothers, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just because of the burden and the responsibility of being a single parent. I hear that more than anything else. Like, oh, I'd really like to learn, or I'd like my child to learn. How can I help? How can how can I get help? And uh, that's where it really becomes what you're just saying is back on us as yeah. folks who have been doing this and trying to perpetuate this lifestyle to, you know, take that next step. So. Yeah. Well, Andrew, I know you had somewhere to go, and I think we've kept you longer than, than we intended to. But this was but fun. Really glad you guys could join us here today, Eric. Thanks thank you as well. Um, and we appreciate your time, and I'm sure we'll circle back. And until then, this is Jody Stemler. And I'm Steve Belinda, and thank you for talking Mule Deer. Thanks for talking Mule Deer with Steve Belinda and Jody Stemler. The Mule Deer Foundation is the only conservation group in North America dedicated to restoring, improving, and protecting mule deer and black-tailed deer and their habitat. MDF is a strong voice for hunters in access, wildlife management, and conservation policy issues. To find out more, visit www.muledeer.org and stay tuned for the next episode of Talkin' Mule Deer.